Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm your host, Scott Livingston, and this is where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page, Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to empower and inspire a community of people who take every opportunity to live a high-performing life. I want to take a moment to really shout out and say thank you to our most important sponsor, MatrixFitness.com. Uh, Greg Lawler agreed numerous years ago now to support this podcast and to make it what it is today. And he is representative of a corporate culture at Matrix Fitness that is really all about serving the customer and making sure you get what it is you need to do the things you need to do, whether that's serving uh, an entire organization or team or a single individual, building a performance facility, uh, taking care of yourself and your own home fitness needs. MatrixFitness.com does it all, and they are a global company worldwide. You can get any solution you need for your um, product needs, as well as consulting on building your own facility or a facility for your organization. So I can't recommend them enough. I appreciate everything they've done for Leave Your Mark. And I want this community to support what is our greatest sponsor, MatrixFitness.com. Head over to their site today and see what it is that they have and how they might be able to solve any problem you might have. Those of you who are longtime listeners might have recognized that I started uh, the Leave Your Mic Life Lab not too long ago. We're now almost three months into our program, doing some really great work with some great people in the industry. This is really, if you're in the human performance industry and you're looking for support, uh, counsel, mentorship, and direction in your career and life and living the best life possible... Uh, avoiding burnout and enjoying the work that you do. That This lab is uh, designed for you. Uh, I am doing my best to steward a great group of people. And if you want to know more about the program, we will be opening another cohort in the not-too-distant future. So head over to lymlab.com today. Check out the podcast. You can get your latest episodes of the Leave Your Mark podcast there. You can get a free download source for a couple of uh, videos uh, that I've done on just getting started in this process and take a look on the uh, Life Lab page at what we get into in our program and how it's all set up. Would love to have uh, new people involved. Uh, the people who are in it are really loving it. and I'm loving the work too and the connection. So keep an eye out for it, check out what we're doing, check out the latest podcast, and of course, if you want an LYM cap, that's something you can get on the page as well. So head over there, get yourself an LYM cap, and uh, support the podcast. And at the very least, do me a favor and uh, you know rate it, share it, uh, connect, and even leave a comment on your favorite streaming source. Take care. My biggest sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com, is also a company near and dear to my heart. 
This is something I believe in, my wife Jamie believes in, we believe in our mission, which is to really change the culture and and the way we do human performance, bringing the worlds of therapy and performance together into one critically successful process that uh, really transcends uh, the narratives of both areas and cultures and brings them together in one operating system and one common language of practice. And the other thing that it does is it's underpinned by applied neurology and the whole neurological system is what runs our body. And we've spent some time this last two years really bringing in some of the most uh, important and latest concepts in applied neurology to the programming so that we really put the head back on the body in terms of training. And so the things we're doing are just so powerful right now. And people are talking about it. Uh, you know, people who are doing the programming are just recognizing how it's changing their practice. And we're hoping that more of you will join us, will join the reconditioning revolution. We now have our R1 foundations and R2 designs completely online. You can uh, digest all the information at your leisure. And then we have eight-week labs once a week for an hour uh, over an eight-week period. We rotate through these throughout the year. So our next R1 foundations is this September. We are starting in R2 designs very soon. We would love to have people involved with what we're doing. And we also are doing special live event sessions. Uh, We have an R1 Foundations live event that is going to be kicking up in September as well. We also have our R3 Collab, which is a special live event where we bring together everything we do in R1 and R2, along with more applied neurology around how the cerebellum cortex and brainstem affect movement and function. And so all of that comes together in an outstanding course, and we have one this September 24-25 in Montreal. Would love to have people there if you've gone through our program R1 and R2. Want to get more and more people doing this because it's changing the way people support uh, athletic and human performance in general. So, would love to help you be the best practitioner possible. If you're interested, head over to reconditioninghq.com today and check out what we're doing and check out our next offerings. Take care. Now that we've taken care of those that take care of us, on to the podcast. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm your host, Scott Livingston, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Rhett Larson. Rhett is currently the strength coach for the German women's volleyball team. He previously spent seven years in China, first as project manager for Exos China, working with several of the Chinese Olympic teams in their preparation for the 2012 London Games, and later with the Chinese national women's volleyball team, which won both World Cup and 2016 Olympics in Rio. Following the gold medal victory in Rio, Rhett worked for for two years as the strength coach for the Netherlands women's volleyball team before leaving to join Team Germany. Prior to his international work, Rhett worked with Velocity Sports Performance for 10 years, where he became the director of coaching at their headquarters in California. He's married, and above all his accomplishments, he is a father of three-year-old Everly. I am pleased to have him on the show today. Welcome, Rhett. Thank you. Thank you. I think that's Everly's first public shout out. So uh, yes. this is the groundbreaking. She will be very excited to hear that. That's important. It's important to be uh, shouted out when you're three years old, if you even know what that means. But that's at some point, you will know what that means. And TikTok right. will know what that means. <laughs> that's right. 
<laughs> I am living it right now. I have a 14 year old. So TikTok is the world. Oh, Where did you learn that? Where did you learn that on TikTok? Okay, good. So it's either Google or TikTok is educating our kids from today. So <laughs> that makes my palms sweat. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we are all doomed. <laughs> are you the, um, I, I, I was reading the stuff she sent me. Are you the, the coach that does the really fun warm ups where everybody's dancing and moving and, and wow. some of the videos got sort of viralized on Twitter or whatever there? Is that you? Scotty, what a segue from TikTok. Yeah, well done, right? <laughs> Straight from TikTok to dancing. I, I should be the first person on TikTok. I am not. But yeah, I uh, that, that was as big a surprise to me as anyone. It, I did get a little 15-minute window of, of fame a couple years ago, and, and it, it follows me around quite a bit, This uh, the, the dancing that, that comes during our competition warm-ups. Yeah. There's this... And I've explained it a couple of times, but yeah, if you haven't, if for those that haven't seen the video, it's, you wouldn't know it from the video, which was spliced together by a, when we were in Italy over a week and, uh, you know, they took a bunch of footage of what is actually the last 20 to 30 seconds of our 12 minute competition warm up, But instead of doing kind of traditional, well, within a bunch of traditional rapid response, neurologically exciting uh, kind of movements, I will just throw the occasional ridiculous dance move in. And when taken and spliced together and put to fun music, boy, did it take off. That uh, <laughs> it was something like, like five million hits in a week, and it was just ridiculous. And uh, I was about That's to awesome. I, I thought it, I, I, when I saw that, I was like, this guy is, you know, like having fun. And that's, well, that's the key. You know, I want to, I want to unpack that a little bit because uh, where does that come from? Like where, where did you grow up and what was kind of influencing you uh, as a kid that has sort of shaped who you are now as a, an adult? Yeah, I grew up on the East coast of the United States and I have a, I have a pretty theatrical father. I mean, he was in plays a lot and I, I always liked the theater. I think um, my father and I are both, introverts at heart but put us on a stage where there's not a lot of interaction um mm. actually kind of become extroverted like really get energy from that situation and so um it kind of comes natural to me to want to grab some attention and <laughs> yeah like i'm saying yeah i'm the team in front of the team <laughs> no, <but> like, <laughs> no, I, it sounds super shifty but uh, but when when I feel like it serves us, uh, especially like in the warm up, you know, it, it's kind of fun to watch the other team be yeah. completely distracted by us when we're doing our warm up and they're looking over their shoulder and maybe wondering why their strength coach is so boring or or just looking at the <laughs> relaxed laugh, you know, smiling yeah. faces of my athletes and thinking, oh, OK, all right. And, and if my athletes are in actuality shedding some pre game jitters through doing something a little bit ridiculous then uh and you know i try not to make them look bad i try i want to make them look cool you know there's a lot of psychology in that pre pre-match those pre-match moments um then i feel like it serves a serves a positive and that's, and, that's uh, awesome. and yeah yeah so I, i'm not afraid to do something like that I, I, always being careful not to let that kind of thing get out of control um mm-hmm. But uh, positive, di- positive distraction. You got to have it. It's good. Day. Yeah, there you go. That's a, a better way of saying it. it. Thanks. Yeah. Positive distra- distraction. So, <laughs> you know, I was a, I was a, a little bit of a theater nerd growing up to answer your question. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I minored in, in college 
and never okay. did anything else with it. But there is that I have that side of my personality, I think, that that does come out sometimes where I, I like doing I like mm-hmm. being up on stage. I like giving presentations. I like being in front of my team. Hmm. That's honestly, cool. Were you- I'm, I'm far better at giving a presentation to my whole team or a workshop than I am having to sit down for one-on-one conversations over lunch, as everyone on my team will tell you also. Like wow. that's oh, like, well, we're going to talk all of that is a weak, total weakness of mine. <laughs> Let's unpack that together in a couple of seconds. <laughs> Where, what, what were you dreaming of being when you were a little boy? Were you, uh, have you become what you dreamed of or are you, were you dreaming of other things when you're, mm, I think as a, as a kid, probably I was probably thought I was going to be an actor. I probably wanted to emulate mm-hmm. my dad. Um, but like most strength coaches, I loved sports. And like when I figured I could kind of have this, this backdoor, uh, way into sports and, but obviously because I'm not good enough to actually play it myself, then that, that took off in my brain and I was uh, full steam ahead. Uh, mm. um, yeah, I, I'm Where'd always, I think, I think to answer your question even better that throughout my, you know, throughout college, throughout graduate school, a little bit, like I'm always thinking what are going to be my professions instead of just what's my one profession. Like I, even now mm. I, I'm still thinking mm. about what am I going to do for, you know, hopefully I have another 50 years ahead of me to start plotting um, you know, new directions, maybe all new directions in what, a, you know, in, in, in what I do as a profession or just other angles within performance that would be stimulating and interesting. Well, if somebody took that away from you today, said, you, you, Rhett, you can't be a strength coach anymore. What would you do? Mm. I, oh boy, there are parts of me that would, well, that would love to get into something um, like business minded, like finance. So like I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I've always been really interested in like wealth management. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I feel like anytime I get a chance to sit a young strength coach down, I'm, I spend less time talking about sets and reps and more time talking about what they're doing with their money early mm-hmm. on and how to better you know, invest, care for it, grow it, make sure that when you're at a stage of your life that your money makes you some money and that you're not just living on your salary. Um, so hmm. right now that's something that interests me, although it's not, I can't think of, I, I would never want to work on wall street and I, I don't know what that becomes, but, uh, but I love talking about business, you know, and I'm, uh, when I, if it's books or it's talking to friends that are in the business world, like that's the stuff that right. gets me turned on these days. So what did the drive you into uh, an education in human performance, so to speak? Like you were playing sports, I assume, but then like what, what actually was the hook that hooked you? Yeah, I was, <clears throat> it was a personal goal to jump higher. I, I always, uh, I was a, I was an athlete in college, but I was a long distance runner. I was a 1500, 3000 meter runner. And my father uh, is a marathoner. And I, mm. I have as all the slow twitch muscle fibers that you could ever ask for. But, you know, after like during grad school, I discovered beach volleyball and I just had dogged determination to, to try to teach myself how to jump higher. And then like, and then that's when my mom, or this was during, sorry, this was uh, right after my undergrad. And then my mom was the one that told me, you know, you can, I, I just learned, you can go back to school for exercise physiology. You can become a strength coach. And once I learned that, it was just full steam ahead. 
taking all my anatomy and physiology prereqs and then heading straight into it. But that was, you know, I, I did it to get a free membership at Gold's Gym. Uh, the, my, my local Gold said that if I took over the sports conditioning class that I had been taking for a few months and the, the, the instructor got pregnant. So I took over for a month and then they let me stay and I, I had my Gold's Gym for free. And, and that just gave me another excuse to just buy every book I could find on, on plyometrics and, and strength conditioning. How did your how did your mom know know that? How did your mom know that? Was she? she had, yeah, she had uh, my my uh, my folks are from Virginia and the University of Virginia. They had been up there for a game and they'd walked by a school of you know health sciences or something like that. And mom, you know, good for her, walked up and kind of said, "What what do you guys do?" And and she learned a little bit about exercise physiology or or biomechanics or something, and and she put it in and passed it along to me, and that. The rest is history. That's cool. What was the biggest, your dad, you said, was an, was, uh, did some acting. What, what was the biggest thing that he transferred to you in the spirit of who you are now, in some sense? Uh, um, my dad is a very logical thinker. He's an attorney. You know, he's an attorney. He would just mm-hmm. moonlight uh, as an actor doing, you know, community theater kind of stuff. Um, but uh, my dad is one of the best. I think writers and, and in writing and uh, a voice that sounds authentic, not like you're trying to impress anybody. And my dad, I, I think having had my dad correcting hundreds and thousands of papers and all my life in school. And, you know, he's still the guy, if I have to write anything important, I, I run it by him. The, the chapters in the books that, uh, that, uh, that, that have come out, the, High performance training for sports, you know, that all that has been over, like just combed through by my dad. And, and so, mm. um, over the years, I think I've become, I, I noticed there's less red marks all over the things I turn in. Uh, I think he's made me a better writer, which mm. I think makes me also better at, at breaking down things that I think, you know, so mm. if, I think if you can write well, it means that you can outline well. And if you can outline well, you can arrange your thoughts well. Uh, mm. And all that pulls back, I think, into a pretty, yeah, I, I could absolutely give him credit for that. My sisters would 100% agree with me. That's very cool. So I'm assuming that your competitive nature in running is what drew you to working in a velocity because velocity's kind of whole modus operandi to speed and stuff. So is, is, that, is, is that the drag that pulls you into that space for a little yeah, while? Yeah, a little bit, although I'm, I'm actually not very competitive personally. Like I get, I get really excited about my teams, but I am the first guy that just, when I go out and even play sports that I love, like beach volleyball, I'm almost never competitive. I'm almost, I'm almost never broken up when I lose, like personally, I get way more into my teams. Uh, anyway, your question is, is valid though. Um, I, I was really drawn into velocity because of Lauren Seagrave that because of you know, I'm big, I know what I know about myself and I believe about a lot of people is that happiness comes from growth and that uh, when I when I get thrown into something, it's like I said, I really focused on kind of jumping in power because I cared about it personally. And when I got into velocity, which was still in the very like nascent stages of my career, I didn't know anything about speed and boy, you know, getting to sit uh, sit next to Lauren and hear him wax about at speed. I don't know if you're familiar with Lawrence Seagrave, but he is, uh, yeah, just, just a fountain of knowledge. And, 
and, and really opened my mind. And that's when, you know, you just get excited about, about expanding your skill set, more tools in your tool belt. Um, mm-hmm. And Velocity just sucked, sucked me in because there were so many opportunities. You know, I got in right as it, it went from like three franchises that were in Georgia and it just blew up to 70 or 80 across the United States. And then it mm-hmm. became, oh, well, another fun thing would be, where do I want to live? You know, where I've studied directly under Lauren Seagrave. I can kind of pick where I want to be. And then, mm-hmm. uh, and then that just, kind of, Yeah. Well, I wanted to pick that apart a little bit, but I know you're going to spread out to where you're going to go from there. But yeah. uh, I just find that 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 um, moment in time, like a lot of not everybody knows about Lauren, but Lauren's very you know very well known in the speed paradigm and velocity was one of these first sort of I would call scaled businesses in the idea of human performance and speed performance in the states and and the states kind of drove that animal for a long time in the world, so to speak. So, you know, being at the front of that, did you, what was it like to see that baby born in essence, to like to see oh. what it has in essence become when you look at the exoses and the, all these other places now that, that that was the precipitating factor for. Yeah. It was so exciting because, you know, I had known of, athletes performance down in Bradenton, Florida. I'd applied there right when I started getting into this and I'd gotten denied every time. And so when I learned that Lauren, who'd worked down there before had, you know, and then I get in with him and then this blows up. It, this is the beginning of the dot com boom. So all these parents have lots of money for their little kids. And it was just, you know, it, it was fantastic. It was so super fun because we just kept on growing and growing. And, and I ended up in Southern California, but, but it, it, it was just really exciting to, to think it was that brand new model of having a sports performance facility that we just, we wouldn't let anyone for, like make us do sports specific training. It was our like badge of honor that we will never, ever like actually put a bat in your hands or, or have you throw a football. Like we were so committed to this idea of just general performance training and people were buying into it literally. And, and it was just a great time to be a part of it. Uh, it not only from a performance side, but also a business side. I mean, this is uh, some of the big roots of my love of business is I had a, you know, our business director at my first velocity was just our first velocity that I was a, a big part of in Southern California, um, was a genius that ended up just taking over the entire network. He was so, mm. um, he was so successful and he became the president and CEO of, of the whole shebang. And, 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 and it's because, and, you know, he was having us read every business book that came down the pipe to, cause he was really, um, he was just committed to making sure every, employee every coach could be also a business-minded salesman as well mm. so uh, was, what was, was the what time. was the shape of what was the shape of you during that 10-year period of create like the coach that you became through that process like started point a and what was point z so to speak for you going through that process that you expanded your horizons in and and then took with you into the next career that you went into so you cut out a little bit, but you want to know like how I became the coach that I, yeah, that I yeah, that you, that you, that you, you were sort of born in that 10 year period and, and, and then went on to do a whole bunch of stuff in, in, in other spaces, but you know, you know I, what did it I, teach I got, you? 
I got really lucky in that, in that at the first velocity, one of the three that were open when I first started there, there was a, the, the head of performance, there was a guy named John Crosby who couldn't be more different than I am now as a coach. He was extremely mm-hmm. successful at the time. He was just training half the Atlanta Falcons and all of these is a who's who of guys that would come in just to work with, with Crosby. And he was the most soft spoken, like, but everything out of his mouth was just pure gold. He was a, just a biomechanics expert could watch guys on high speed treadmills that look like a blur to me and find that, you know, tell them that they're pronating their left ankle and we need to get you doing this release. And I was amazed, but he really quickly or very early on sat me down and said, don't try to become me. And when I'm, when, when he was observing me, I would try to become him. He said, you got to just, you got to just own your natural personality. He's like, I watch you Mm -hmm. coach when you don't think I'm watching. And I wish I had some of that. And so, Mm -hmm. and so not only that, you know, I'll never forget that conversation, but, but along the way, when you work at a velocity, you work with, uh, I don't know how many dozens and dozens of coaches I've gotten to work, work with and gotten to help them find their own coaching styles and gotten to take steal stuff from other coaches that I think would be a great addition to my coaching. So like, like the way you huddle with the kids and you get down on a knee and you do this or whatever it is, I'm stealing that stuff. I got, I got 10, 12 years of being able to watch dozens of better coaches than I am. Um, and just take the stuff that, that fit to my coaching style. So, Mm. um, and so, uh, you know, I am, as I, as I think it through the same thing happened when I went to China, you know, even now I'm playing in a different, in a different league. Now, every coach there is a coach of elite athletes of Olympians. And, and you see, you know, coaches that are hunched over their computer the whole time, just, you know, Excel spreadsheets on terabytes of files and, and readiness and this and that. And, and I can feel a little imposter syndrome from that. Like, Oh, but you know, but when I'm in my groove, I know that, and I know I'm coaching well, I, you know, that kind of all melts away and I know what I'm good at. And I stay in my lane and I, and I double down on my strengths, um, where, and I try not to let myself get feel too inferior to coaches that just simply have a different style than I do. And it's no better, no worse. I lose to those coaches all the time. Sometimes I beat them. It, it all comes out in the wash. <laughs> uh, unpack that for a second. Do you, uh, do you lean towards being somebody who um, as a strength coach or a, a human being believes in strength and your strengths and worry less about your weaknesses? Or do you believe in strengthening your weaknesses and making them sort of uh, more balanced? Quick break here. We'll be back with our guest in just a moment. Okay, I'm going to keep this one simple. I mean, if you're looking for equipment to fill your facility that's brand new and you want to deck it out with the best in the business or you need somebody to help you decide what to put in your facility and organize it, structure it, or you just want to build a home gym or a home facility, or you need a specific piece of equipment to to serve a specific uh, purpose in your human performance system. Matrix Fitness 
Dotcom has an answer for you, and the people there are into making sure that you get what you need, that you are served, and that effectively your problem is solved. So it's easy. If you've got a problem or an issue or something you need to get, uh, then it comes to serving the human performance needs of your clients or yourself. Head over to MatrixFitness.com today and check out what they have. You won't be disappointed. If you're looking for a roadmap of how to bring the skills, techniques, approaches, concepts of therapeutic practice together with the methodological systems, principles, and exercise strategies of performance practice, neuroreconditioning is the way to go. Neuroreconditioning brings together all of these things under the umbrella of the governing system of the body, the neurological system, and make sure you understand where to tactically and technically bring all of those systems and practices together in the most powerful way. Reconditioning is the only system we know of that brings all these things together under a neurological uh, profile, and we believe that this is the next wave in human performance. So if you want to up your game and be the best in the business at what you do and really take care of your clients to the best of your ability, then get involved in the ReconditioningHQ.com revolution today. Head over to ReconditioningHQ.com. Check out the courses that we're delivering. You can do R1 Foundations and R2 Designs all online. There are live... Uh, lab sessions that we're building uh, on a regular basis as well. There really is an opportunity for any way you want to learn out there, uh, and you can learn at your pace uh, when it's convenient to you and how you would like. So check out our courses today, reconditioninghq.com, and change the way you practice in a really powerful way. Hey, if you're liking the podcast, head over to lymlab.com. You can get all the latest episodes there. Check out what we've been doing and what we've been up to. If you want to get a Leave Your Mark cap, that's the place to go. Uh, They are beautiful, and you can get one in black or you can get one in gray, and there will be more coming in the future. You can also check out what we're doing with our LYM Life Lab. There are two free DLs there that you can take home and check out to maybe help you recenter yourself and focus on how you want to manage change. And you can also become uh, a member of our mailing list and receive weekly uh, reminders of the next podcast that's out. So do us a favor, check it out. Take some time to get onto your latest streaming service and rate and share the podcast. Take care. We're back. Enjoy the podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I certainly swing more to the strength binder, like the strengthen your strengths side of mm. things. Mm. Of course, um, I, 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 you're, it would be a mistake to ignore weaknesses. I mean, that's when mm. I'm always kind of thinking if if there was coaches that got to watch a video of every training session I did for an entire year and then got to use all of that information to try to argue to take my job away from me <laughs> the next year, like if they go to my boss and be like, he never ever did this or he never tested them on this and he never did this. I, I'm very, I, I kind of keep that in the back of my mind that I want to uh, not have any gaping holes in 
in my, you know, what I offer a team. Mm. Um, but, 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 you know, if, if we're using that example of, of like data monitoring, like I just have to find workarounds to make that possible. Like I have to, mm. I know that I have to train my team to monitor their own kind of data. I like, mm. I don't want to ever be hunched over my computer during a lifting session. I need every athlete being able to, you know, enter and analyze and look at and red flag for me when there's something that comes mm-hmm. up that I, I need to have systems in place where data gets immediately imported into my computer and I don't have to worry about writing things down. I need to create competitions where all the data I want goes up on a whiteboard because all of the girls are super stoked about getting a better score and, and are incentivized to put their numbers up because they want to prove themselves. Mm-hmm. So so I'm, I, you know, I would hate to, uh, you know, fall to the wayside if, because some coach comes in and he's really good at data. I have to have data. I mean, I think Dan Baker once said, "Yeah, don't collect data if you don't want. You have good luck keeping your fucking job. Keep it some other way." You know, but <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I want to cover all those bases. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, you've been in the industry, um, sort of similar time curve is my own uh, i'm a little older than you but i think you're you know it's that phase of we went from not really having much in the way of data to you know having a lot of it and now it's kind of like almost overwhelming that yeah. what, what people are are sort of diving into um having gone through that journey where do you lie now on the balance of that in the strata of how you approach things and i mean i think you pretty much just said that and in, in your in your conversation to me was, you know, you, you understand it, you invoke it within your athletes and make them accountable towards it, but you don't get over, over, over directed right. by it in some sense. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Scotty, let me give you another example. So, so I would never get excited, uh, you know, tomorrow morning, my athletes are going to come in and we're going to do two exercises for which uh, I'm going to collect data. We're going to do like a weighted squat jump of sorts, a non-counter movement weighted squat jump. We're also going to do some banded squats and we're going to, we're going to go through also track the velocity of those. So we're going to get jump heights. We're going to put a jump mat down for that. Anyway, like I wouldn't be super excited about those, those two exercises and getting the data on that were it not for the fact that I am going to utilize any increases on any individual girls um, over their previous best to, to make a scene. It's, I'm going to be so freaking excited for them. Like it, like <laughs> I'm just manufacturing celebrations tomorrow. So like I will track data on a certain exercise until I see a plateau and then I change it up. And that's maybe three weeks, four weeks. It, it's still going to be a squat. It's still going to, or, or variation of a squat, but it's banded. It's at a certain range of motion. It's counter movement versus non-counter movement. And I'm just manufacturing celebrations. So mm. that data, that data doesn't isn't inspiring the data geek in me that wants to print out a spreadsheet and necessarily show my head coach. But I will absolutely right. have memorized where certain athletes are, especially mm. certain athletes that that maybe need that boost right now. And I'm going to be keeping an eye to see did she beat her did she beat her, you know, her previous best in this? And if so, mm. the entire gym's going to know about it. It's going to be chest bump, high five, and we're going to go nuts. And so <laughs> that fits with my coaching style. 
Like I, I want that kind of, that's what, that's the culture I'm trying to create in my weight room. The, the Germans don't have a really super strong weight room culture. Like they, it is always just kind of this necessary evil, this thing they know they have to do because this is what happens at the, at the top, at the, you know, the top levels. But, uh, you know, I'm trying to change it to a place where they look forward to coming in where I didn't notice, but I hear a yelp from the corner and they're celebrating. The celebration's already started. So um, that's, that's interesting. I would, I would like to unpack the um, cultural differentiations because it sounds like so you've gone from U.S. and the sort of U.S. United States human sort of nature spectrum to China which is very much a, a certain cultural um, expression to Germany, which is very much a sp- specific cultural expression in the way people deport themselves. Yeah. And I'm just kind of wondering how your style has flowed through those spaces, like from a place where maybe you, you know, you easily played um, with your style in, in the States to a place where language was probably a, uh, a limiting factor in what you wanted to express to a place where um, style is different in some yeah. sense. Like, uh, you know, the Germans are very, you know, kind of, I'm just kind of curious. That must've been an interesting journey. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and probably the biggest, the starkest contrast would be going from like an American system, especially, you know, an American football or, or basketball. Like when I was in grad school, I worked for the football team at the university in North Carolina. And that's just the most hype environment. It's music at 10. That's chest bumps all the time. Um, and then you, you take that and you, and you go to China where it is very much, uh, uh, yes, sir. What, what do we need to do for you? Um, you know, and I say, Hey, today we are something outlandish. You know, today we're, we're going to, um, to build wrist strength by just, you know, punching this wall. 20 times and, and, and you know, we have the, have the ice buckets over there. Like no one would question it. It would just be like, let's go. And then when he's, you know, and, and even working hard when I'm not working, not looking, they don't cheat, you know, they, uh, and there's just complete buy-in to anything like someone above you on the pecking order says, mm-hmm. um, the, the language thing, it was another huge factor. I mean, it's comical now, you know, being three years removed from my China experience and, and how much to, to, to know how much I rely on, on speaking in a general workout to think that I went seven years where I didn't get to use English is, mm. it seems ridiculous to me, but like anything you adapt and, mm. um, and you learn, you know, I still am the type of coach, you know, even in China, I'm the, I'm the coach that is, doesn't take, I guess the, it doesn't take strength and conditioning too seriously. Like I, I'm first and foremost, the reason I can stay over in China for seven years is I'm having fun. The food is mm-hmm. awful, Scotty. Like it is like when you, when you were just dreading every single meal, like it, it weighs on you, but you know, I wouldn't have stayed over there if I didn't find ways to have a good time. And, and at, at you know, these, these athletes, the Chinese athletes, are kids at heart. I mean, many of them are kind of in arrested development, to be, to be honest. You know, they've, they've been in the most unique situations of sports schools and sheltered from the world. And the girls have been given boy haircuts so that no boys will talk to them. You know, they, they're really, um, but uh, they're goofy little kids. And from having years at Velocity Sports Performance of, of working with goofy little kids, I just go into the mode of how do I, you know, 
how can I make a connection through humor with younger kids? And it's, you know, making fun of people in good nature's ways. And I say good nature's, but I'm always making fun of people, you know, or, or making fun of myself. Mm -hmm. I think it's the vulnerability piece of it. You know, the, the dancing kind of feeds into that is I'm not afraid to look like an absolute idiot myself that, you know, I started learning Chinese really early on because I felt like that was a nice way. First of all, it's just sucks to have a translator in China. It just makes everything slower. And also, it's just a nice way to be able to show some vulnerability that I'm trying. I say stupid things sometimes. It doesn't make sense. Um, but back on track, um, from there, up China, a place where I never had to defend my program to anyone. You know, the, there's no... There's no, there's no sport coach over there that has a little bit of a physiology background. There's a sport, there's sport coaches that know the way they did it as a young, uh, you know, as, as young players, but it's pretty well known over in China that, that Western athletes definitely have figured out, or the Western sports system has figured out how to keep athletes going to more Olympics, more mm -hmm. quad cycles than the Chinese. The Chinese are good for athletes are good for one, two, never three Olympics. And mm -hmm. so they kind of know what they don't know. And, and many of these coaches, by the time we get there, they are conceding that, hey, let's try it your way. So I never really had much pushback. And it was just carte blanche. You do your job and we'll stay out of your way. Just tell us how many times you need them in, in the weight room. So all of that is great. But I go to the Netherlands next. And now I have athletes with a extremely high training age. Like they have been working with, there is, there's a long line of very smart Dutch coaches. I mean, for being such a small country, they punch above their weight in coaching and in, and in athletics. I mean, the Dutch are, are, are incredibly good at a lot of sports. And so, and so now I'm explaining why all the time, you know, now I have to defend every set and rep I have to defend. And they have read all of the latest journal articles and they, you know, and my assistant coach studied under Franz Bosch for five years. And like, you know, it is, uh, and, and, and they speak perfect English. So I get perfect English. The Dutch have the best sense of humor in Europe. I've told that to my current German team. They agree. The Dutch have a great sense of humor. Um, <laughs> the great sense of humor, but I am just like, I'm defending it. You know, you really have to know what you, yeah. you have to know your stuff, right? You have to come wow. loaded with, here's why this is this, this is this, this is this, this is why I like this. And so, wow. um, uh, and so that was refreshing. That was fun. I, I loved my time in the Netherlands. The Germans are, you know, just right next door, but culturally very different. Do they have not put as much time into the strength and conditioning side of things? And they don't mm -hmm. have, my athletes don't come from a, a long background of, uh, you know, of strength and conditioning. I mean, some traditional lifts, of course, but, but many of them, you know, the things that I, that I think that I bring over here and they seem taken aback by, um, mm -hmm. would be just, that's commonplace in the Netherlands. That's, uh, and so it's interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't have expected that considering a lot of the, you know, I've been more around the uh, bobsled and different sports like that, where it seems like they're pretty uh, on their game when it comes to, but I guess maybe it doesn't filter no, into other and, sports or whatever. And of course I'm making a generalization. What you said just said is right. It, it, yeah. this could, I'm with women's volleyball and it could be that culture of women's volleyball in Germany. I'm in some of the sports, you know, I'm in the Olympic training center right now and we share this center right now with the, canoe and kayak and bobsled like 
and they have multiple gold medals in this. And, and I've seen, you know, just glimpses of their training. It looks incredibly progressive and, and great. So mm-hmm. I think it is sport by sport, right. but in my particular sport, uh, yeah, it's, they, they lie somewhere between the, the, the Chinese and the Dutch. Hmm. What would you say is the thing about, um, from a cultural standpoint that people in North America don't misunderstand about the Chinese that you learned about them when you were there for seven years? Um, I think, well, I think there's a misconception that they're all kind of robotic, you know, they're, Mm. that they're all, um, that, that they are all kind of, that there's a lack of, uh, you're not allowed to have personality. You know, I, there's, you know, there's stereotypes of, you know, not being able to tell Chinese people alike. And I, you know, spending any time over there, I find it just as easy to, to tell athletes, even though they all have dark hair and dark eyes, I, I like the personalities are so distinct that mm-hmm. it is uh, like, for me, it, I think that is one of the things also that they're not, that they're stuck in the past. You know, the you know, mm-hmm. Asian cultures are kind of always, um, you know, uh, looked at fondly for their rich history of, uh, you know, all the martial arts and things like that. But like I said before, China knows what they don't know. And so mm-hmm. China is not afraid, you know, to start spending money to innovate in the things that where they are weak. Um, mm-hmm. And they have the, they have the manpower to do it. You know, they have the, mm-hmm. they, have, they have enough people that they can, they can experiment a little bit. And they also are, are, are willing to pay, you know, the best coaches to come over and spend X amount of months or years or whatever, trying to catch them up on the stuff that they're not good at. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah. And they're, and they're a fun loving group. So everyone, so for instance, the dancing, everyone knows of the, that the dancing got, they got, you know, went nuts when I was with the Netherlands and, 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 you know, the, when I go to tournaments now and I'm with the, the German team, occasionally a new a, a camera crew will come over and say, Hey, you're going to do some dancing. Could you let us know? And we'll get, are you going to do it in your next thing? And it's a thing I've been doing the dancing with the Chinese too. The Chinese are not like humorless automatons. You know, they, they also <laughs> love all of this stuff that I do, that I've been, you know, that got famous other places. Um, the Chinese are warm and open to all that. The moment I I'll start dancing with the team, all of these coaches will get out their cell phones and be hooting and hollering, hollering while the girls dance oh, and cool. videos and, and they're just like everybody else. Awesome. What, what, why the affinity for volleyball? Where does, where does that start that you keep sort of <clears throat> flowing through that sport now? Yeah. And it is, you know, it beach volleyball was my, you know, one of my favorite, sports, uh, for the last 20 years or so, but, but, you know, I got these jobs without, uh, ever, I, I try to go as long as I can before I tell anyone that I actually know how to hit and set a volleyball pretty well. Cause I, I don't want to all of a sudden just become assistant coach number three, who has to spend all day on a box whacking balls. <laughs> My shoulder couldn't take it. Like, I, I don't have the, I don't have the, the miles. I don't have the years on it that it could, that it could do. So, I, I think it was probably six, eight months of working with the Chinese before they knew that I could do anything good with a volleyball. And then I kept, I keep it from everybody. And, but it is my favorite sport. And I just got into it kind of luckily, you know, I was, 
I was really enjoying my time in China for the first four and a half, three and a half years working with all the, the sports. Like I got to, cause I was the project manager, like you said, at Exos, I would get to dabble in a lot of sports. So, you know, I was part of uh, the dog and pony show, like David Joyce and I often, when, when the Chinese Olympic committee wanted to kind of sell Exos' services to a, mm-hmm. to a new sport, they would send me and David in for two weeks and we would do a deep dive into diving or we would go to to judo for two weeks or we would go to shooting and archery and then and so it was super fun right can you imagine i'm a guy that likes growth like i'm getting to i'm getting to tap into exos's little think tank and have them send me and stuff i'm getting to read about what the best practices are of making table tennis players more agile Um, Mm. all of that super fun but when i got the opportunity but by virtue of working with so many different teams, I was never really with one for, you know, I never got to go to a tournament with one. It was really when we were at, they were at the Olympic training center in Beijing, I was doing all my work. And so I missed that part of it. So when I got the chance to be with uh, the women's volleyball team in China, it just, it, it was just uh, kind of too good to pass up because there, not only is it to be with one team for the, for an Olympic cycle, but also it's to be with their most famous team. The Chinese are the Chinese women's volleyball team is by far their most popular team sport and the only team sport that they've ever won a medal in. And it's hmm. you can't understate how important that team is in China. So that's also very fun. Like it's fun to have all of the fun attention and flying first class and, and all that. You know, I'm I'm human. All right, Scotty, I'm human. I I, I like that stuff too. <laughs> um, and then when and that's then awesome. And then just, um, and then success you know, makes it fun too. You know, everything's, everything's kind of more fun when you're winning. And so uh, yeah. and, and I got on a good run. I got, I picked, I jumped in with that team right as they started a, a great run and, and yeah. And it, it became just a, a you know, snowball effect of, of uh, let's keep, let's, let's keep the gang together. And, and are then, you, so, are you, well, go ahead. For, for I was going to say, and from that point, once once uh, I'd had the success in China, then women's volleyball became my ticket to be able to work anywhere in the world. Mm. And I've always wanted to work in Europe. And so w- mm. when I got the opportunity to to work in the Netherlands, then I said, okay, well, I'm going to join a team that's not as good as the Chinese maybe, but I'm going to live the European lifestyle and and so, hmm. so I'm staying with beach. I'm staying with women's volleyball, really, just because I'm having such a good time doing it. <laughs> That's awesome. What what is what is it that you recognized in yourself that creates the itch to change? So you know, I see in your bio this your velocity, then your exos, then your China, then your then your Netherlands, then your Germany, da, da, da. I might not get them all in the right order, but bottom line is there's a, there's an itch to change. What creates that itch and, or instigates it? And how do you know it's time to feed it? Hmm. I, huh. And, you know, I, uh, I never thought I was the kind of person that just needed change all the time, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I would have, I would have put that as, you know, my, my loyalty, you know, I was with velocity for, longer than any other employee at the time I left, no one had been at velocity for as long as I had even Lauren Seagrave had gotten out after, after eight or nine years. And, 
And same thing with China. You know, my first crew over in China, that that of the eight of us, one came back. And, you know, I went through different crews and I just stayed. You know, I just wouldn't leave mm-hmm. China. And then the problem was that that or the, not the problem, but I was I was so happy in China. And then I I got a chance to do it. What what happened was in my bio, as you said at the at the top, I finished China and then I did two years in the Netherlands and then went to the the Germans. That's not entirely true. My two years in the Netherlands were separated by a year back in China. And so when I mm. left China to go to the Netherlands, I told the head coach of China, hey, listen, I'm going to go over and do one season with the Netherlands. It was the year right after the Olympics. I said, I'm just going to go help their new coach set up their program. I need a break from China. And she said, great, just promise you'll come back. And that's what happened. So then I did come back to China the year after. But man, after you enjoy the European lifestyle, it became very, very <laughs> tough to have my same love of China again. <laughs> and so... And so, so the then food was good again. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh. Everyone knows I, I lose, I lose 10 pounds every summer I'm in China. Cause it just, I can't put enough calories in. And, but you get me in, you get me in Bavaria, you get me in, in Amsterdam. No problem with those, with those kilos. No problem at all. So, so yeah, that became that awesome. a driving force. And then, you know, and I would have stayed with the Netherlands you know, forever, but my head coach got fired, unfortunately. So, uh, okay. yeah. And so it's not been, it's not been my wanderlust necessarily. I don't think it's really been that circumstances has kind of forced my hand a couple of times, but I, I am more comfortable getting to know a team really, really well. This is, this is a, a sweet spot for me. Nice. Well, I'm going to, I don't know if you've ever listened to my podcast, but I do a little thing where I read from my book called The Day You Were Born, which is your purpose from your birth date on my um, astrology, numerology book. Anyways, uh, you are a Sag 8, born November 26th. So your purpose is to transcend your destiny through acceptance, to balance hope and despair, success and defeat, using all the sources of strength. Nothing would be done at all if a man waited until he could do it so well that no one could find fault with it. Cardinal Newman. The Sagittarius 8 is a perfectionist. They scrutinize everything in their path. They demand trust and loyalty from others because they give it back. Hard workers, Sagittarius 8s, take on an unnecessary responsibility in an effort to make everyone's life better. Is the process that's important now, not the end result, the journey, not the goal. But unless they set boundaries, the overload could bring them close to a nervous breakdown. Depression or dark moods are also problems. Eights swing between hope and despair, all in the same hour or day. Authority issues are alive and well in this combination. Their will is strong. They are stubborn. They are caught between an expansive mind and a love of freedom and the fear of losing control if they open up their world to make it larger. The Sagittarius 8 must learn to risk. This develops faith and allows expansion. With confidence, the world opens up. Sagittarius 8s have tough lives, but it's taught them the power of perseverance and faith. Don't know if that re- resonates or not. <laughs> I, need to, I need to go check my birth certificate because I feel like I couldn't have been born on this day. Like I <laughs> didn't I, didn't sound like you. You nine did, nine like, times out of ten it hits, but this one didn't. Yeah, sound yeah, to yeah. Me. Uh, I, I, yeah. I don't know. Uh, there were a couple things that resonated. I'm trying to think what they yeah. were, but the ones that stood out to me were the the things about. Like I'm the farthest thing from a perfectionist. 
Like I'm the guy that believes in not like not worrying about, you know, I think that, that that sometimes, you know, having things now is better than having them perfect. And I I just, Mm -hmm. um, but what a fascinating, I've never read that before. I mean, I was, I was excited you were going to do it and I didn't look into it before. And I know you do this. Um, uh, oh, that is, uh, that's it's, act, it's funny. Cause uh, norm, it's funny. I'm reading it. I'm going, this doesn't sound like him. So I'm, this one's not hitting, but like nine times out of 10, they go, I go, Whoa, what the heck? But it uh, blows your mind. it's fun. Yeah. I just do it for fun. Anyways. You know, Lawrence so Seagrave, you tell- incredibly into this too. He, Lawrence Seagrave is a numerology fanatic. Uh, every presentation he gives, he has two slides on numerology. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> It's a well. I, the reason I got the book was because the, it always has a quote, and the quote that was with mine was the exact same quote that had been my favorite quote for my entire life. So it's oh, like wow. that's too that's too wacky, you know? Yeah, like it, that's, that's what drew me to the book. But anyways, um, so you you're if I'm correct in what I read when you sent the thing, you're married to a woman from China. Is that correct? That's right. Who was, yeah. who was a volleyball, volleyball yeah, was, athlete herself. Not while I was, yeah. Not while I was right. there, but she, uh, so she had, how do you uh, guys meet each other? How do you, yeah, guys she connect? was, uh, yeah. Um, Melody is her name. Our, our real name is a uh, Ma Yunwen. And she was a color commentator at a tournament in Hong Kong. And so when my, when my, team was playing in Hong Kong. She was just around and we ended up having breakfast one morning and really hit it off. And we ended up deciding to watch all the games together. So we would sit in the, sit in the stands together. And, and then, uh, yeah, just, I woke up one day and we had a baby. No, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't happen that way. Right. Sorry. <laughs> you can go PhD on here, but it doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah. <no>. So, <laughs> Melody has been wonderful about uh, traipsing all over the planet while, uh, you know, our Everly was born in the Netherlands. Um, mm-hmm. And we are hoping once things get to normal that we can start having her uh, all of like live all over the place. Um, mm-hmm. so. Does she, does Melody um, have still stuff to do with volleyball? Like, does she still yeah. do? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So she is, She's still, she's been, tra- during the pandemic, she's been trapped in the United States for three years. So all, her volleyball life is largely over in China, but she's still a big social media influencer. She has, she has a podcast. She has two, over 2 million followers on Chinese social media. So wow. she's, yeah, so she's pretty, pretty dialed in. I know it sounds like a lot, but when you have 1.4 billion people. It's it's all relative, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me the first time you did the dance part with your uh, with your um, athletes. Like, was that a stretch for you, or did you just go screw it? I'm going to try this and see what see what happens and have some fun with it. Yeah, because there had to be some level of trepidation in doing something like that because it's right. unusual in some sense, right? Yeah, I think what I think it was, and and where it started was. Uh, um, yeah, and it's kind of the exos way there was a there's a formula to warming up that that we followed to the that seemed like a very logical progression to me and it always ended with some neural response stuff so to answer your question i can remember that it would be pretty straightforward i, I would do a series of three or four of the that huge menu of rapid response stuff and after about six or seven seconds i'd kick the group out and make them run past me and at some point I think I looked and it was a line of Chinese girls, three of which I know are game, you know, 
in almost every group, there's like two girls you do not want to do the dance with because they are just they're just gonna they're just gonna rain like they're gonna poo poo it down and it's gonna go so horribly you may never be able to they do it again. Anti dancers, like, <laughs> anti dancers, exactly right. Like, I, I can only imagine what it'd be like if I had men's teams, but. Um, I think I saw that there was a particular group of girls and I just, instead of doing, you know, a, a rapid response forward, forward, back, back, I just start doing the running man or something like that. And, uh, and, and I could just hear the girls behind me hooting and hollering. And when I sent them, everybody's laughing. And so it kind of, it stuck in my head. This is something to deploy at the right time. So probably during that mm-hmm. season, I would wait till that same group of one or two came, but then it got to be. You know, then a couple of girls are coming up to me in the lunch line saying, Hey, do you know how to do the floss dance? You should do that with us sometime. You know, and so then I know it's being talked about. And from there, I'm sure it, it got bigger. And then when you meet the Dutch girls, of course, the Dutch girls would be up for all of that. There's not a girl on the Dutch team that wouldn't want to be me to do that the entire time. Um, and like I said, Germans. Have a, have a couple have a couple that need to be that I know all right I know not to do all the dances but I know if you're in my group there's two dances you like to do and so uh yeah <laughs> Scotty I hate for the listeners to think well I mean, I'd be embarrassed for them to think about how much thought I now have to put into what is still the last 20 seconds of my uh of my routine it still takes up a oh, yeah. very small amount of time but now it takes up more of my brain power having to manage what what dances are going to make uh certain girls happy and not there's press, not pressure now pressure yes <laughs> pressure you can't keep doing the same three dances uh-uh well the thing that's that sort of rests in me from listening to you and i'm kind of curious about this process through your coaching career is um i'm hearing a guy who uh, really has a passion for coaching, has a passion for doing things well, and with and you've worked with some very high quality institutions in performance sport, but you also have this sense of the artistic joy of sport. And um, you know, do you do you see yourself as a counterpoint to maybe the seriousness of the the coaching staff in these position these places where things get really pressurized and it's kind of like okay I'm going to be the release valve in some sense but knowing that everybody knows you take your shit seriously but it's kind of like you have this chance to be the person who kind of let releases the pressure a little bit now, now you're numerologizing me because that's spot on. Like that is 100% the way that I thought about it, especially in China. That mm. I guess there's this pressure when you go into a Chinese coaching situation, which is not a lot of laughs. It is mm. if you were to just attend a practice, it's it's largely devoid of a lot of joy. You know, there's mm. I said that my wife Melody is still into volleyball. She would hate to ever be a coach. She doesn't like to be too much a part of it because the Chinese system will stomp ring a lot of the joy of sport out of you over that many, you know, hundreds and thousands of hours of of practice. So um, there's, I guess there's a temptation when you go into those places to try to uh, blend into that culture a little bit and be a little bit more rigid and stoic and, and that kind of thing. I learned pretty early on that I have more success if I just continue to be the yin to their yang, you know, if I'm Mm. getting those two right, if I continue to be like, happy-go-lucky, like constantly positive 
kind of coach, uh, you know, to counterbalance what they're getting otherwise. Like mm-hmm. I want to be the coach that they, that they maybe can fight in because I'm going to, I might be a little bit more upbeat that they want to sit with at breakfast because I'm going to be, you know, looking to laugh and lighten the mood. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, and thank you for saying it, uh, you know, you don't get very far if you're also not able to keep all your athletes healthy and steadily improving. You know, I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. going to keep my job if everyone just likes me a lot yet. Mm-hmm. The, everybody is starting to have a little bit of knee pain and no one seems to be running as fast or jumping as high as they did a month ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, no, it's, uh... so, yeah. So you have that, that balance, cool. but I figured right. while I'm still, while I'm still keeping all athletes available and healthy and feeling good and, and the, while that's still happening, I can be as fun loving and coach any way I want. And nobody's going to get rid of me. You know, I, mm-hmm. that's kind of the way I approached it. That's, that's really, I really love that. It's beautiful. Do you, um, do you have a story of, a of a, a relational story where an athlete has told you that that's really meant something to them and they're in their, in a, in a time of them feeling overpressured or, or overstressed? Well, I have a story. All right. Um, yeah, I do. I'm, I'm told this one. I don't know. I, you know, I'm glad this is a long form kind of interview. Cause all right. Um, this is my first. So in my, in my first, uh, two years with the Chinese, I was with, as I mentioned, I was with judo. And so mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, I, I started when Exos uh, sent me over to the judo team. You know, I had all of the judo athletes, 40 of them. And then, you know, at, at this point it was, it was probably eight months before the Olympic games. So all the judo people from the way, and it's just women's judo. Uh, they all have the, all the weight classes have a different lead coach and politely over the next couple of weeks, all, all but one lead coach said, Rhett, we like your stuff. They're really, really valuable. We've taken some stuff from it, but we can't have you just become our new strength and conditioning coach 10 months before the Olympics. I mean, and, and, judo had just won three gold medals in women's judo at the last Olympics. So they're doing something right. Boy, I was like, that sounds smart to me. Don't use me. You, you, you keep doing you. Uh, it sounds great. Um, and like I said, all but one did. And so this one coach, uh, had studied a little bit in the, in the United States. And he said, I want you to do the exclusive, all the strength and conditioning, uh, with my athlete. Um, we're going to work out five days a week. Um, and this is also by virtue is that she was ranked eighth in the world, like not likely to medal. Like I said, we had three girls who were former Olympic champions. We had a couple others that were in the top three, uh, but she was a long shot. Anyway, if you could fast forward through the Disney training montage of, of us kind of getting to know each other. This is when I spoke almost no Chinese. She spoke nothing. There's great moments. So we had our own high five. So we, we put, I put my hands like this and she would put her hands kind of the opposite way and we slap, slap back. And then, that, and that was it. But, but it, trust me in China at that time, high fives were gold. Like that was stuff they'd only heard that other athletes do. Like just no one did. And, and when they did it, they'd, they'd be looking over if anybody had a camera to take a picture. So the fact that we had a, a kind of silly one, I mean, this is the basic, the most basic kind of little five, um, but we would do it constantly in lieu of talking. And when I would get excited watching her compete, it was funny because I would just, I would say her name was Lily. And I would say, go Lily, go, go Lily. And she had to come over to me with a translator. She said, Rhett, in China, the word go means dog. 
So every time you shout at me, I feel like you're calling me a dog. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> so, but training montage continues. Like, I have not gotten to work with a fighter at this point in my career. So I'd never worked with grapplers, fighters, wrestlers. At least I don't remember. And certainly not at this level. So it is so much fun for me. I am tapping into, I, I'm by, I buy Martin, Martin Rooney's book, Training uh, for Warriors. I am stealing <laughs> all of it. We're doing gnarly push-ups. I mean, I, it is just this, every night I go to bed smiling, thinking of the torture I'm going to put Lily through the next day. Because she is tough as nails. You know, these judo athletes are crazy in China. Um, anyway, we get to um, we get we get to the Olympics, and 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 I was happy. I mean, happy and happy. She, her parents couldn't come to the uh, to the game, so she gave me her parents' tickets. So, um, but the way judo works is like every day is just one weight class. So that you know, the judo hall is on a certain day is women's you know seventy nine kilo or whatever it's going to be, and so on her day. You know, she has to have like four matches before lunch. Uh, you know, in the first match, she wins. Um, second match, she's going up against like the you know the fifth in the in the world, and so um, and and she finds a way to win. Next match, and you imagine the, the Disney movie right now, okay? So, so in the in the in the fourth match, she has to go against the reigning bronze medalist, and everyone's like. Lily, it's been a good run. You've already way outperformed anything you would ever thought you'd do. And uh, sure enough, in that match, Lily is losing by a ton and time ticking down. And she just, it, in you know, it's ipons her. She throws her straight to her back for an instant victory. I mean, the place goes bananas. I am screaming. I'm doing the go Lily, go Lily, go Lily thing. She turns, walks off the mat, and gives me the dog. <laughs> Up in the stands. Like, no joke. It is hysterical. <laughs> All right. So here's the problem, Scotty, is that I only have tickets for the morning. She wasn't expected to make uh. it past the morning. So I can't go see <laughs> the semifinals and finals. And so I am outside. I'm looking around to try to, to scalp tickets. We're in London. And I'm looking to scalp tickets. I can't find anyone. All of a sudden, this random Chinese dude runs up to me and he says, here is a ticket. You're Rhett, right? Here's a ticket. Lily says she can't win without you. Like, oh man, all right. So, well, now I get my ticket. I'm up in the nosebleeds now. I had great seats before because not many people come to the preliminaries. I'm in the nosebleeds. And she has to now fight against in this in the uh, semifinal match. She fights against this Dutch girl named, um, gosh, Willa um, Bjordense. And I know Willa because Willa came and trained with us for a month in China. And Willa is a beast. Willa is, is your dream athlete. She wakes up. She's at the gym two hours before everyone else is. She's doing like, you know, walking lunges with a log she found outside. She's taking all the right supplements. She just sits in a cold plunge like between matches. She is, I mean, as vascular, flame red hair. Just, I mean, she is ripped. And Lily, I'm very proud to say is strong, but boy, she was doughy. I mean, I, I did my best. Doughy. <laughs> Like Willa was, was eight pack and just, and during that month, they never had them do real sparring because it was too close before the Olympics. Psychologically, neither of them wanted to do a real match against each other, even though they're in the same weight class. Anyway, we, we didn't want that. Willa would have killed her. So Scotty, it starts and it's not at the very end, but Willa is killing her and, and Lily upon her with 
like seconds. To <laughs> it is. I, I, I have the best picture of, 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 of Willa Bjornsson with her hands in her hair, screaming no while, while Lily's above her with her hands in the air. All right. Finals come. I will tell you this. In the finals come, I'll tell you that Lily is the only, it ends up being the only Chinese women's judo person to get any medals at this Olympics. All of the former gold medalists didn't even make the quarters. Wow. Lily gets there. And so Lily has been, Lily before the Olympics gave me a t-shirt, a Nike t-shirt that just said silver sucks, which is absolutely China through and through. (laughs) And so she's in the gold medal match. She's going against the world number one, former gold medalist. And this gold medalist has iponed every single match up to this point. And so it's Lily versus her. It goes all Three periods. Lily never gets iponed, but Lily loses in the finals. And I'm just crushed, yeah. right? And here comes the part of the story that that can get me to tear up sometimes. So I'm in the nosebleed seat. So as, as after she loses, uh, like Lily, you know, walks off defeated, like crying horribly. Like there's no sense of being proud that you just, I mean, you got to the, you're going to have a silver medal. No one thought you had any chance. And I'm screaming at her and she can't hear me. For all the other matches, she could hear me, but not since I'm up in my nosebleeds. And so uh, she goes back in the dressing room. I'm waiting for the medal ceremony. I'm trying to work my way down. I get closer, but not super close. The place is packed. Medal ceremony happens, and they do this parade where they walk around. I am sc- I'm going hoarse. I'm screaming, Lily! And I'm, I'm telling her how proud I am of her. And and they they set up the metal stand kind of uh, over there, like a you know fifty meters something like not even like thirty meters away, um, and but it's still it's it's a ways. And when they when they announce Lily's name and they put the medal around her neck, Lily pivots, looks straight over at me, points, and does our hand clap in the air. Oh, and, oh that, yeah, I'm gonna start crying thinking about it. <laughs> but. Um, yeah. And so, uh, and, and yeah, and, and I just, you know, I lost it. Like I'm tearing up now and she, uh, yeah, she ended up, yeah, she later gave me like, you know, all the Olympic participants get a little participation mail. She gave that to me. She's been, you know, she's now a strength and conditioning coach. She went back to school, um, which is another thing that I just am so kind of proud of because she uh-huh. said she wants to do for others what we did together. So anyway, uh, I'm so sorry. Cool. That was a long one, Scotty, but I, no, I haven't told a good. it a long time. It's it, a it great was perfect, story. It was the perfect story. Per- perfect way to uh, wrap this uh, party up, but uh, yeah, I love I, I I love it. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of ironic listening to you tell that story about a judo athlete at the London Games because I worked with the Canadian judo athlete Antoine Valoiforche, who was not supposed to win that year and won a bronze medal. And it was, you know, this beautiful moment as well, like the uh, see Antoine win and stuff. So, so cool. But, uh, uh, super cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Those moments when your athletes do special things and you, uh, you, you know, get to watch it, tears coming to your eyes and stuff. It's this, oh, these yeah. special moments when you're, when you coach, I, I, w- I want to finish. I want to wrap by just saying, what do you, what did you fall in love with in coaching? Cause it's obvious you're very passionate about it, but what's the true nature of that, um, that love. Um, I think that gosh, all I'm thinking right now is about all the cliched answers that I give that I hear people on podcasts giving and I can't, 
having, uh, the wanting to watch others succeed and wanting to grow. I, um, a lot of it, Scotty, is uh, that it's continually changing, that it's not something that, that, that I just, I objectively know I'm getting better at it. I, you know, as, as much as some coaches complain about, you know, the insidiousness of social media and, and, you know, these young, young punks on, on, on internet and uh, on Instagram that haven't coached anybody substantial yet, but still are acting like they are, you know, uh, have, are smarter than everybody else. And like, I draw continued inspiration from people like that. They mm-hmm. keep my job so interesting. Like I'm always feel like I'm getting, uh, like I have another reason to jump out of bed to, to be excited about trying something new with my athletes, being able to hopefully maybe crack the code for an athlete that I have not figured out how to, how to get improvement. For me, it is, I said it at the top is it is growth. And, and this has been a profession for me that continues to, to, to keep my brain spinning. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I want to keep riding that, you know, if it's mm-hmm. if new ways of, of, training if it's new methods or new modalities or if it's just a new way of approaching things or new variations on something i've been doing it continues to evolve and mm-hmm. and for me that that makes for a very rewarding profession and, and something mm-hmm. I, I like to be a part of and uh, to add to that that it's taken me across the globe um having adventures in new fun exotic cities and you know i, I i'm a storyteller so i love to just uh, love to add new chapters to to the book all the time. And, and yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. And, and, you know, the reason I, the reason I'm talking to you is through mutual friends we have in Australia that Mm. I I love that, that, that I'm sitting, I can for almost, for almost every country in Europe right now, I have a strength and conditioning friend or a friend in volleyball that I could legitimately go and visit and stay on their couch. Like, it's such an awesome network of people. And yeah. I don't know that there are many professions like that. Yeah, no, it is. It's the thing I hear in you sort of say, which I think is beautiful is that it's, it's this ever evolving um, vocation slash tool that allows you to connect with the human spirit. That's what I hear in you. Like it's, That's it's a your much way, of, way of saying what I just said. God, you're good at this. I gifted that to you for the next podcast question. That don't, that gotta read it <laughs> but now you have to fast forward all the way to the end when you listen to it That's so right. you can That's catch right. it again. That's right. Well worth it. Well worth it. <laughs> well, Rhett, uh, David, um, highly recommended me meeting you and it's been a pleasure to, to get to know you and connect and uh, hopefully our paths will cross face to face one day, but uh, good luck with, all things German right now in life. And uh, hopefully we'll run into you again someday soon. Uh, I appreciate it, Scotty. This was a lot of fun. Cool. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today. And we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.